Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Good morning. <laughs> Preach the weird stuff. What am I talking about? This week, an article came out from the Breakpoint blog or website. It's not a site I usually go to in my internet surfing, but I like weird stuff. So the headline grabbed my attention. The article gives us Christians advice from an agnostic historian. An agnostic, someone who's uncertain regarding if there is a God of some sort, or uncertain if there is a God that can be identified. He wrote to give Christians advice on how to preach the gospel. And the advice he gives is to tell us preachers to not shy away from the unusual and weird things we Christians believe in. To teach that which the church has always taught, that there are miracles that happen and that angels and evil spirits exist, and that there is a God greater than our minds can wrap around who loves us and calls us to repent. These supernatural things that oppose what we consider normal in the world are what people need to hear, he says. The traditional faith needs to be taught. Instead, a faith that is redesigned to meet the secular world and embrace it is a faith that has Jesus look a lot like whoever is doing the redesigning. Quoting from the site, In the 1960s and 1970s, many American churches attempted to become relevant by embracing fashionable political causes while downplaying and even denying historic Christian orthodoxy. These churches have been hemorrhaging members ever since. Today, many have chosen to reimagine Jesus into the image of a social revolutionary or as a champion of the sexual revolution. Many of these churches face extinction. A church that merely repeats the New York Times doesn't give anyone a compelling reason to get out of bed on a Sunday morning. Why sit through a boring sermon when there's national public radio? And I'm an NPR listener, and I sat there and I go, yeah, I understand what you're saying. This article reminded me of a young couple that had come to me in one of my previous parishes. We'll call these two people Maria and Mike, not their real names. Maria had been raised in the Greek Orthodox Church with two parents who were very traditional and from Greece and very protective of their only daughter. Everyone here has probably seen that first Greek wedding movie, right? There is a lot of truth in that movie. Maria was still living with her parents and having her own career 
but, and this is completely unfair, people were starting to talk about Maria never getting married and moving out on her own. Maria was devoutly religious, being at church every Sunday and often during our weekday services. And she would take Holy Week off to attend every service offered that week. And depending on the community, that can be 14 to 16 services in one week if we needed to duplicate some services to fit other people's schedule. She would be at confession at least once a month. And I would often see her in front of a certain icon of a female saint lighting a candle and I knew she was asking the saint to help her find a husband. One Monday morning, she gave me a call and said she had made a life-changing decision. I honestly thought she might be telling me she wanted my help to become a nun. But I was happily surprised to find out she was engaged to be married. The rule in my parishes were that the couple and I need to have at least three premarital counseling sessions before the couple gets married. We set a date for the first session a few weeks after her phone call. Eventually, I met Mike at that first session. Maria had been attending church only with her parents, who seemed happy that Maria was getting married, but there was a reserve with the parents that was just not quite right for a happy occasion. And we who are parents kind of know how to read that. Mike seemed like a nice guy. He had no church home, so he was going to convert, and he seemed okay with it. He was quiet and very bland during our meetings, and it was really very clear that Maria and Mike were not on the same page regarding spirituality and religion. In fact, this difference was so big that I was leaning towards saying that I was not going to marry the couple, even though I knew what a headache that was going to cause. So I had the chance to talk to Mike privately. We met at a coffee shop outside of church and talked. And in this talk, I just laid my cards on the table and asked Mike right out, where are you on this whole Christianity thing? And his response did not surprise me, and it was very honest. Mike thought Christianity was fine. But he also said there was the same emphasis on being good with Christians as there is in Judaism and Islam and Hinduism with every religion. Christ was a great teacher who was important in world history. Mike had completely bought into what the world says. There are no real differences among religions, that they all talk about some kind of sky god who wants a person to be good. This was actually the first time I had heard the word Chrislam to mean Christianity and Islam were the same faith. And that takes me to today's 
Old Testament reading. One of my favorite parts of Advent is how our lectionary readings, they tend to pull from the Old Testament prophecies about this momentous occasion when God enters his world through his son becoming a human being. And today's reading is all about this. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. So the reading begins. Now, Isaiah wrote this somewhere between 745 and 680 B.C., so around 2,700 years ago. God's timing is not our timing. So while God is saying he is creating a new heaven and a new earth, where is it? 2,700 years is a long time. So where is this new heaven and new earth? The world seems to be the same disaster now as it was in Isaiah's time, maybe even worse. So is God lying to us through Isaiah? No. No, I will not even consider that. The fact is that we have probably all heard this talk about a new creation before, haven't we? In fact, that exact phrase from Isaiah is used in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you are in Christ, then we are the new creation. And all Christians in Christ are what this prophecy talks about. The fact is that the gospel was being preached by Isaiah, even though he lived 700 years before Christ. The gospel starts with God creating the world and man breaking away from him. The weird stuff about Christianity starts very early. The Almighty, because of his love for mankind and his creation, does not turn his back on us. Instead, as Isaiah foretold, the Lord will enter his own creation as a human being, all while keeping his divinity in its holiness and fullness. Christ became a person, not because he was forced to, but because Christ, from his love for us all, became the first of the new creation, the God-man, a transformed union of God and man. And this new creation becomes us because we seek to imitate Christ. Just as Christ died and was resurrected, so too do we seek to die to ourselves so that Christ grows within us and we share in his resurrection through the, the grace of God. Christ is not some sort of smart philosopher teacher, but he is God and man. The way to reconcile us with God and the only religion that teaches such a weird belief. And that this growth into imitating Christ is done through our faith in Christ as well as our receiving the sacraments or the holy mysteries of the church. These sacraments unite us to this mystical body of Christ which is both on earth and in heaven. And every time we receive a sacrament, it is as if Christ himself is reaching out to, to touch us with the same uncreated light 
that has been so very briefly described in the Transfiguration. Just as Jesus touched and healed so many people we read about in the Bible, so too does he touch and restores his new creation, which is us, through his body, the church. That is the weird stuff of Christianity. The stuff that the world mocks and does not understand and calls us fools for believing such things. The goal of the Christian life is transformation. It is not being good. We are good because we are being transformed and as such imitate Christ as well as we can in his actions, not because we fear retribution or bad karma from an angry God. I shared with Mike what I just shared with y'all. The man was stunned. Finally, he said that he had never heard Christianity explained that way before, as a way to transform a person into a union of man and God, to fulfill the destiny God had created us to be, to someone as clueless as I, even I could see something had changed with Mike from that point. Mike started to go to church and would even show up at some weeknight services without Maria. Now, I had a rule with all my converts, which is that they owed me three service activities in their first year in the parish. It was a way to help these new converts to meet people in the parish and get involved in things. Have them figure out where are your friends. Mike chose to help me at the altar as an acolyte. And within his first four months, even as a newlywed, he had completed his three service times. And then he kept showing up at the altar to help. A little while ago, he was ordained a deacon. This person who at first saw nothing special to Christianity and thought there was no difference between Christ or Buddha or Muhammad or Zoroaster. So that is what I hope and pray for all of us, that we take to heart the weird things of the faith, that Christianity has a lot of weird stuff, but that is only because we also have the truth and the idea that God wants to share himself with us only because he loves us sounds pretty weird in the world. And because of those weird reasons, we need to share this weird stuff with everyone out there who is not yet one of us. Amen.